Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. This episode is brought to you by Skinny Pop Popcorn. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Oh, so light and crunchy. Skinny Pop Original Popcorn is the snack you've been searching for. Made with just three simple ingredients, popcorn kernels, sunflower oil, and salt. Snacking never felt or tasted so good. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Give yourself permission to snack and pick up Skinny Pop Original Popcorn today. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the field. It go down. It go down in the field. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, you're listening to Rock and or Roll. I'm BJ. And on today's episode, we hear from a Scottish singer-songwriter named Brian Spence. Brian played guitar with a glam rock band called Bilbo Baggins in the early mid-70s. They started out in the same clubs as early incarnations of the Bay City Rollers and eventually shortened the name to just Bilbo. You'll hear Brian mention Colin numerous times on this episode. That's Colin Chisholm who was the singer from Bilbo Baggins, and Brian and Colin Chisholm also released an album as Chisholm and Spence in 1980. In the mid-80s, Brian launched a solo career, releasing two amazing AOR albums, The Incredible Brothers in 1986 and Reputation in 1988. Interestingly, those albums were actually huge hits in Portugal. 
and Brian can still travel there and perform for very enthusiastic crowds to this day. All right, so let's hear my interview with Brian Spence. I've always been obsessed with glam rock. I really, I love glam rock that, especially the UK yeah. stuff from the seventies. Yeah. I'm, I'm a, I'm a bit of a fan myself, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure well. you are. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you yeah. about that. Well, I wanted to ask you, you know, how you got started in playing music and then how you ended up uh, playing in a glam rock band. Um, okay. We'll go back to start. After the Beatles came along, I think I was about, 10 years old or something like that, everybody started getting guitars for the Christmas and things like that. And even if you didn't have a guitar, you'd get a bit, make one out of a bit of wood and a bit of cardboard mm-hmm. and paint, paint strings on it and stuff like that. And then um, there was uh, some guys at school did a, did a, a concert. They just mined to some Beatle records. They were only about 11 by this time. The girls started screaming for them, you know, so, and I thought, oh, I'd like some of that. <laughs> so then, then for the next few years, couple of years, um, I wanted a guitar for my Christmas and I didn't get it and I didn't get it the next year. And my friend got a guitar and he started a band. He was actually in, in Bobo Baggins as well. He became, we got him in later on, but he had the guitar a year before me. So by the time the next year came around, he he'd already got a band together and I was desperate to get a guitar. And my mother bought his guitar, his old guitar for my Christmas, which she got for three pounds. I had to tune it up with a pair of pliers. It was all broken and the strings were miles away from the frets and it's really difficult to play. Oh, no. And um, I, and I thought, I'm never really going to get the hang of this, you know, like be able to do the bar chords and stuff. And one day I went on somebody else's guitar and it was like, oh, this is really easy. So by that time, I'd built up a lot of strength in my fingers and that. And so I, I was just obsessed with it. I just couldn't put it down. Uh, I got in a band, like, I think after I'd been playing guitar 18 months, I was already in a band and we were, we were traveling about when I was 15. And in Edinburgh at that time, all the bands were like intermingling. But, but before Bilbo Baggins came along, I think it was in maybe eight different bands. It was a really big live scene there, you know. One of the places, it's called the International Club, and they had three floors of music. There'd maybe be two or three bands on each floor. Just It was just massive. It was, everybody was playing all over the place, and we were, we were gigging six nights a week and working at the same time. But it was just a fantastic scene at that time, you know? can't remember. It was in, in a few bands that had like, sort of screen scenes and stuff like that. And Tam Payton from the Basic Rollers, Got in touch with me and wanted to join the base, me to join the basic roles when David Payton was about well he was about to leave the band, and David Payton he you know David Payton he started off Pilot, mm-hmm. do you remember Pilot? Yeah, January yeah. and all stuff. So I think I was sixteen then, and he wanted me to join the basic roles. So I, I travelled round with him, 
But because he was getting kicked out of the band, he was still there and I just felt terrible about it. Now, he wasn't getting kicked out of the band because he wasn't a great musician. I think Sam Payton was losing control of him. He really had to control the whole band completely. So I just felt really bad about it and I just, I didn't, I didn't do it. So I started a few other bands and then um, eventually Dave and Colin, who'd been in this other band called Bunter, which had split up, got in touch with me, said, you want to put a band together? And I already knew Tam Payton. We didn't have a drummer or a proper drummer yet, so I got in touch with Tam and he said, oh, I know this drummer from Glasgow. He's in this other band at the moment, but he's going to leave very soon. So he put us in touch with Fid, our drummer. And that was the start of Bobo Baggins. Um, Tosh came in about a year later, the other guitarist, the guitarist who started guitar the year before me. Mm-hmm. And and that was it. And um, Tom Payton said, I'll, I'll get you the record deal. And, and we were going, how long will it take? He said, oh. He said, I'll get you a record deal within a year. And we were going, a year? That's too long. <laughs> you know, when you're young, and that's like, that's a lifetime. You know, it's like, no. So, but he did actually got it. We, we signed up to Polydor. Got a thousand pound advance that we didn't know. Uh, this this other agent who was involved with it had kept his money. Mm. Uh, a guy called Peter Walsh who managed, he managed um, Billy Ocean Matt and Katie, Katie Gusson, the Marmalade, he had a whole bunch, big with her. Mm-hmm. So he kept our money, didn't tell us about it. When we found out about it, we left our agent. Anyway, so we brought out five records with Paul at that time. Oh my. 
then that came to an end when we left Tam Payton again. And we got this other guy involved, was Henry Spivy. Yeah, so we we ended up signing up with him and he got us a record deal. And we brought a single with him, uh, She's Gonna Win, which was our first thing record we got in the charts. But when we, we, before that, we, even though we didn't have a lot of success, we got um, we were on television all the time, and all the magazines all the time. And uh, we had Colin Chisholm was a phenomenal singer, so I think that's what what kept the whole thing going. Really, his voice, you know, gave it gave us a bit more a bit more credibility. We had quite a lot of guys following the band, uh, as opposed we had female fans as well but we had quite a lot of guys that were into us because it was a slightly more aggressive side of things that we had although you would never really know that from the records mm-hmm. the life thing was more that more a street sort of thing During that time, we did um, we, we toured a couple of times with the Roars, um, the the Rubets, Mud. So the the Bay City uh, Rollers were they all had they already broken really big by this time you're talking about? But by, by yeah by by that time when I first went with them when I was first going to join them they they had a, a massive form. they didn't quite have a record deal yet but they're just about to get one mm-hmm. um, and they they had a really big form before they even got a, a record deal. But it was a completely different band. 
And if, I don't know if you look at the list of the people that have been in basic roles. There's something like 20. Yeah. And every every time, he would always think he was ready to put somebody out of the band when he noticed they stopped washing their hair. So <laughs> that's when they're becoming rebellious. <laughs> um, yeah, and you'd have to, after we'd have our rehearsals, we used to have to go to Tam Payton's house afterwards. So it'd be like 10 o'clock at night, we'd finish the rehearsal and we'd go to his house and we'd just have to listen to him rant and rave for maybe a couple of hours just telling you how big the basic roles are going to be and stuff like that. And um, and he was right, you know. Uh, they never made any money out of it. They, they didn't see any of it. He bought a nice house. I'm not sure he, even he got everything that he, sh- he should have got. But he had a real nice house in, in just the outskirts of Edinburgh. And he would do all this, like, stuff that he got arrested for later on, the paedophile stuff out there and all that, you know? Yeah. It's quite a, a sort of scene, actually. But um, <clears throat> we were lucky we never got dragged into any of that. And uh, I, I think there was a period, like, where... We had signed, we signed up with this agent, and then the agent talked us into leaving Tam completely. This was the agent that kept thousand pounds, and us to go with him. So we left Tam, and then when we found out that he kept our money, we went back to Tam. But Les McEwen, when we were on tour, he said, "Look, guys, he's he's just he's just going to hold you back. He's just he's not going to do anything for you," and. He literally didn't answer phone calls where we were getting asked to go on certain TV shows and stuff like that. He just, he was um, very vindictive. If anybody left the rollers, he would try and destroy them, their careers. Was it Pat McGlynn that, that formed Scotty? Well, I think it was him. They, they became actually really big in Japan. Yeah. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't let them out of the contract. Uh, even though... He was out of the band. He just he, he would he would still hold on to him. He was always scared they were going to do well. It was only after he got a visit from Pat Glenn's father, who was could look after himself, who um, that he eventually let the contract go. So he, he could be very very vindictive and controlling. Yeah, like a lot of managers are actually. Yeah. So that was that period there. Then. Um, Lightning Records, that was one we eventually signed up to. And eventually the band split up. We got on a lot of debt through this manager who was like a compulsive gambler. <laughs> and um, God, the story of the music business, especially back then, is just yeah. crazy. <laughs> yeah. I wonder, I wonder if it is now. Do you not think it is now, though? It's well, I don't know what goes on now. Maybe yeah, I people mean, are more probably, stuff. yeah. <laughs> But just the story of these managers who were just ripping all these young kids off just nonstop. Yeah. It's just crazy. Well, just that the, so when the band, one of the guys had enough and he just went, I, I, I'm leaving. He just left Tosh. Tosh left the band. We'd already we kicked out Dave after he got drunk when he, when we were on. It was something we always regretted anyway. We, we kicked him out of the band when we were on. Uh, in an army base in Crete or something like that we played and they couldn't get on stage and we did it without him and Tam had always been trying to get him to get him out of the band anyway so 
we kicked him out and we regretted it almost immediately. It was just one of these horrible. I've got nightmares about it for years. Anyway, so he was he he, he was already out of the band, and then he was like he was a big driving force in it as well. He ended up being Heavy Polydor. Oh wow! Uh, he, yeah, he he did great for him. He did brilliant for himself after that. So the band all split up. The drummer went on and became a lawyer, and then he became a judge. Um, <laughs> and he Fred Fred had no education. He had, didn't even have an O level. He had nothing. Went back to school, became ducks of the school, and then had this like amazing career. Me and Colin, we stayed with this this manager, and um, he took us to. We went across there. We come down to London. We did a made an album without I hadn't paid for it yet. We paid, made an album, and Colin went on to drums, even though he never played drums, but he, he he's just a natural. And we. Did ten songs in the studio, ten demos. We took them to America. We shook hands on a deal with Roulette Records for thirty thousand dollars. And meantime, the manager bumped into somebody from CBS, so he wanted to hear this these demos that we did, and he loved it. He said, "I'm going to play it to." Um, Don DeVito. Now, Don DeVito was Billy Joel and Bob Dylan's uh, A&R man. So he played it to him. He loved it. And next thing, they offered us $200,000, which was the most that CBS had ever uh, paid for an unknown act at that time. So we reneged on a deal with Roulette Records, which didn't go down very well. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I've heard stories uh, about Roulette. (laughs) Wasn't that like a mobster yeah. that was running that label? Yeah, 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 yeah. They were, <laughs> I can't, I don't, I can't remember what family it is. I read more about it later on. I'm glad I didn't read about it. Yeah, I've heard, it I've like heard Tommy it. James talk about it. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, Tommy James and the two did morning morning. Was it Tommy James? Yeah, Money, Money, Shonda, did, yeah. They, they were like yeah. the biggest act on roulette. I would think would have been. So we signed it this deal. Then eventually, then when they found out that we, um, <laughs> that we, that we uh, reneged on a deal with Roulette Records, we were suddenly like pariahs at the record company. It was like nobody, uh, nobody wanted to know us. So the record came out, and it, nobody did anything. We didn't do any promotion. Nothing, nothing, nothing. No radio interviews. Nothing at all. And they just like just treat the whole thing as nothing that's going on.
come back to Britain, the manager lost twenty thousand pounds. That'd be forty thousand dollars at that time. The first the night we arrived, they eventually blew the whole lot, and then and then oh the Colin gambler. With, this is the gambler. Yeah. So he ended up even more getting us into debt even more as well. So and we still never still hadn't seen any money yet. So eventually, when Colin and I split up, we had twenty. £3,000 worth of debt, $46,000 at that time each in, mm-hmm. in 1980. So it was just a, f- a phenomenal amount of money. I thought I was never going to get out of trouble. Yeah, so that that was the end of that. Then I came down to... I was, I was, that's, yeah. I, I'd always been a writer. I'd always just wrote all the time. And I wrote most of the songs for, for the band. Um, apart from the like the singles, I think I wrote... Uh, oh, she's going to win... When we were called, we were, uh, we, they wouldn't let us do our own stuff with Lightning Records. Then um, Tremors did one of my songs or something like that. But, so I came down to London. I tried to get, I came down to think I was going to get a, try and get in a band playing as a guitarist. So I had these demos that I'd done just in my own, well, my own like Revox, you know, where you just bounce it from one side to the other, you know, the, mm-hmm. uh, you could get you could get up to sixteen tracks just on a two track, you know. Just so I had these demos. I was taking them along to companies and taking them to bands and that, hoping to get a gig playing guitar with a band. And then um, I can't remember the girls, Rowena, I think her name was. She got a hold of them and she took them to Kip Crones. I don't know if you've heard them. He managed a band called Outfield, mm-hmm. and uh, it used to look after the Moody Blues and other bands and stuff like that. So um, he heard them and asked me to come and meet him. And that's how I ended up getting my record deal. Because at that time, I wasn't looking to be a singer. I was just, I didn't didn't ever consider myself as a singer at that time. And he got me some studio time and uh, he took it to, I think, it, yeah, I did the deal with Polydor. Yeah. A guy called Nick Garvey signed me up. He used to be, used to be in a band called The Motors. Right. Do you know The Motors? Yeah. 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 And he was in Tux Deluxe before that, right? Oh yeah, I've got you know stuff. Yeah, and they had the airport out and um, mm-hmm. what's that one? Not mad about you. What's that? Oh, forget about oh, you. I don't know. I think. Is it forget By the about you now? Yeah, I think it. Yeah, the forget about you. Mm-hmm. Years later, we did. Well, we did some writing ourselves together and stuff like that. It's great, really talented guy. Anyway, so signed up to him. Uh, brought out brothers. And um, I ended up, that's how the thing in Portugal all happened, because um, I didn't even know I'd sold a single record out there until 2010 or something like that, when I went, this guy had been trying, to, been trying to, for ages to get me to do a gig out there, Emmanuel Conglavis, his name is, and he, um, and I kept turning down, I thought, well, I'm not, I'm not, I've never sold anything, anyway. We got my we go there and did a big concert and that, and then it's been I've done it like four times since I did one like last week. Um, was it two weeks ago? Oh really? Yeah, two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, it was it was phenomenal. I've never had anything like that in my life. It's like the best reaction I've ever had ever. I'll be seventy in February, which is just ridiculous. But, um, <laughs> and this is in Portugal, yeah. you said. Yeah, in Portugal. Yeah, yeah. Um, I did it at the Estadio uh, Casino. 
and everybody sing along with the songs, you know, and they don't know, know the songs.
I did, I did about 50,000 with the first album then uh, then uh, Mick Garvey the management changed over and I suddenly had they had a new manager and then he was going to sack me then we played him Reputation uh, that track and then I just thought oh I changed then I got, got another album out which we did another 50,000 with, with, with that one and then um, then I started doing a bit of production uh, did um did like four tracks on a Michael Ball album and stuff like that. And then I wrote this musical, which is going to put on the Edinburgh Festival next year. Yeah, that ended up taking a massive of time. But since then, I've been playing with my wife, just doing pubs and stuff like that, which I enjoy more than anything, actually. Mm-hmm. You're in complete control. You're not like, there's nobody telling you what to do, apart from my wife. And that's it, basically, really. Yeah, oh, I had a, a thing with this... Uh, I'll try it with this is Springfield she did Reputation which was the title of um, her album as well so that was that was cool
Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late, and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make, and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well, I could make a run to the store, or I could make one of my new factor meals. (laughs) Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything Factor Meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor Meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code pantheon50 to get 50% off. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear. As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I also listen to a lot of music, so having high-quality headphones and earbuds are absolutely critical to my day. Oh, and I have numerous pairs. In fact, I have a junk drawer of used devices that have bitten the dust, so I've tried them all. Recently, I was sent a pair of earbuds by Raycon, and the first thing I noticed was the cost. Uh, Looks like their products are about half the price of other premium brands. Okay, that's cool. And the reviews seem pretty stellar. Okay, checks that box. So I got my Raycon Everyday Earbuds, a nice packaging to open, and what I immediately noticed were the pack of ear tips for sizing. Uh, I'll tell you, I have small ear canals. Uh, I know, a flaw. So to see choices for the best fit, uh, especially while exercising, (laughs) oh yeah. And yes, they were immediately comfortable. Sound quality was great too. Plus I have three EQ options that I love because I like more bass in my music and less in the podcasts. Eight hours of playtime for the battery is great as well. Surround sound, noise canceling, and awareness mode all included. I think I'm in business, and I just realized I've had them in all day. Like I said, super comfortable. Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order 
plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash Pantheon. That's my life in, in 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny to yeah. me that you said you never thought of yourself as a singer because you have such a great voice. I mean, the, the vocals on your your solo albums from the 80s are amazing. And, um, uh, and the you. songwriting. I mean, I love the album Brothers. I think it's such a great uh, melodic rock album from that era. And the, the, yeah. the, the songwriting is, I just love, I love that, those kinds of songs. Like I call it AOR, you know, that, that term. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. AOR. Yeah. yeah. And, and Ed State, you worked with Ed Stasium on that record, right? How did that Oh, yeah, yeah, about? yeah. Yeah, he, he, yeah. it's funny. I, I, I told him this not long ago. I said, I didn't appreciate, like, how good you actually were. Mm-hmm. You know, at the time, because I had my demos, which I thought were like really good, and so we go in the studio, and every time you get used to your sound, you know, it's it's, it's there's always this thing, oh, he's not quite got the magic of the demo, right. but he did exceed with it. You know, he done fantastic, yeah. And I didn't realize how good he was till till later, and then I, I hear and I try and recreate that sound, and it just he just had no, it did amazing, yeah. Well, it was it was a weird time. You had gone from the glam rock era, and then with the Chisholm and Spence album, it was almost more like kind of a soft rock or a singer songwriter. Yeah, yeah, kind of style. Yeah. But then in the mid '80s, you end up doing this kind of AOR hard rock kind of thing almost. But you know, your that brothers really stands apart from a lot of stuff from that era, just in terms of the songwriting and uh, it's you're kind of in that style of music, but it's not, you know, it's a lot different from survivor or something like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. But like, like certain songs, like, like, uh, will you never be my friend? I will call you family. I mean, those songs are just so great. Backdoor. I really love backdoor.
and of course brothers is a is a really great song i think the whole album brothers is great uh so that is it that album that it was a big a big thing in portugal yeah uh, yeah, uh, i'll i'll send you some of the clips and that from it where they're they're all singing along to these just these songs that you're mentioning there Mm -hmm. uh hear it from the heart yeah um never be my friend and it was like when it first happened the first time i went i was just shocked i was like i just uh, i just couldn't i couldn't believe because apart from the fact i'm in another country that speaks a different language and they're all singing along in english yeah. it was um it was just i mean bands are used to that sort of stuff now you know like everybody speaks english now but to me i was absolutely dumbfounded really
Because nothing really, nothing really happened much in this country. Didn't really have reputation looked like it was going to take off. That was um, that was getting played on the radio and that um, the the first track um, reputation from that that was looked like it was going to happen. Brothers never really sent me take, but but when I did like Germany and and uh, and the Scandinavian countries, and that, it seemed to be getting played a lot there. So and America to a certain extent. Um, where, where was it? It did really well. Some state here from the heart went to number one. I can't remember which one it was. So some people were when I did the Reputation album, they were like disappointed for the point of view. They wanted more of the same, mm-hmm. same type of thing, but I didn't want to do the same thing again. Whereas the American, especially the head of the company, preferred that because I wasn't doing the same as as everybody else. They 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 liked that for that point of view. And for me personally, I I found it I liked Reputation to the point of view of. Just the way I was using my voice, instead of being full on like belting the whole mm-hmm. time, you know. Brother, this is I'm just doing it like as high and <laughs> as high and as loud as I possibly could, you know. And like I'm recording where where the next day I can't speak that type of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Whereas reputation was more laid back type of thing, and you know, use my falsetto and stuff like that, you know. Whereas then you go to Portugal, that's it's really all about the Brothers album, yeah. When you were uh, when you guy, were writing those songs, were you writing in that kind of style, or did they end up just getting produced that way and and kind of coming no, no, together that were, way in the studio? Or they were exactly that style. Yeah, exactly. It's funny, it's funny enough. Kip Crones just sent me old demos and that he's had all that stuff, and he said, "Look, I've got some of your old stuff and that. Do you want to send it across?" So I bought a cassette player again, so I could hear them. It was very, very near the mm-hmm. the drum. The drum fills everything. 
wasn't really bang on with it. But it was just like simple rock, you know, riff, strong riffs and like good strong chorus and stuff like that and full on, you know. Yeah, I'm I'm a big yeah. fan, a very big fan of that era and that kind of music. And I think Brothers is one of the best records of oh. that whole kind of genre. Oh, thank you. But I, I like Reputation, too. It's like a kind of a poppier approach, I guess, more produced. I, I would say Come Back Home is one of my favorites of your songs, for sure. That's a that's a great yeah. song, too. Do you yeah. remember write, writing that song?
Yes, I can't. And I, I can remember how pleased my manager was when I played played him the demo and stuff like that, you know, because it was him. Um, but the the that was the one that was probably nearest to what the Brothers album was. Mm-hmm. It was more in that you know, same similar sort of style. I think that that is similar to Brothers in between Brothers and Reputation. I had I did a lot of stuff where you have like answer and back vocals, you know, where you do have a chorus. And then you stick in another melody in between. I did a lot of that. Yeah. Then, which makes it a bit tricky when you're playing live. But right. Yeah. I mean, a lot of stuff was what I was in the middle of a transitional relationship with all this stuff, and that's how a, a lot of the lyrics and that came out. It was uh, never be my friend. All that stuff was all stuff that was going on in my life at that time. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That that's what you draw on, isn't it? That's what everybody. It gives a sincerity to stuff you do if you t- talk about what's happening in your own life, I suppose. Yeah, I think that's uh, what would set Brothers apart from a lot of the other stuff of that genre is that the songs definitely do seem more personal and uh, yeah. more serious. And yeah. yeah, Going back to the glam rock days, I wanted to ask you about uh, what other bands did you play shows with? Like, did you... Did you open for Slade and Sweet and all those kind of bands when you were in Bilbo Baggins? No, I didn't. No. Didn't home. The only ones we did was we did we did a one gig with the glitter band. Um, okay. We did a whole whole tour with Mud, two mm-hmm. tours with Mud, I think, mm-hmm. and one tour with the bit. Mud were brilliant. Yeah, As they were great bands. They were great band, but they were really brilliant guys in that. They were really nice because we we never had any money in that, and the singer um, Les he gave us. He gave us twenty pounds, which doesn't seem a lot, but then it was a lot for us, so we could get a drink, because they didn't get, they didn't have a lot of money either. They were getting ripped off rotten. <laughs> the jackets, they were wearing the tour jackets themselves, like the, what the roadies were wearing. They, they were on something like three percent royalties. Yeah, and and then they'd have all their expenses off that, and split between four guys. And having to give their manager commission, you know, they were just they had. I think we worked out they made something like five thousand pound out of the biggest hit or something like that, something ridiculous. And then you didn't really make money on tours either. The tours were used to promote the records, so the price of a ticket was very cheap then. Did Did you know the guys from Slick? Did you ever play any shows with them? Well, our drummer, right. The reason we had to wait for the summer and build wool baggins, he said, "Oh, he's um, yeah, he'll be he'll he'll be finished with him next week." But it wasn't the truth. They went off to Germany, and it was um, they were called Salvation at the time. So Gordon Little, our drummer, that eventually joined us, was was off gigging with them. Oh no, it was another band he was in Germany with. But he did a, he did a bit of a stint with uh, Salvation. So I met I met Majur in the street. We bumped into each other once in the street. Um, I didn't I didn't know them. They we, we both would have known each other because we were in the same magazines all the time. Mm-hmm. So we knew about them, and I, and I saw them in um, I saw them at Clouds in Edinburgh, and they were they were a great band. Um, Salvation. They had Midge. I think Midge. They called Midge Midge, and this is I, I wouldn't swear on this because the singer was called Jim. So they just changed, uh, his name's Jim Muir, mid-year, his real name's Jim, James. So they just put his name backwards. That's what I heard at the time. 
But yeah, they were a really good band, and he, he I don't know why he didn't continue when the slick thing came along mid year started singing. But yeah. until then, he wasn't the singer. He was, mm-hmm. a, really good, he was a really good guitarist. Really good. And, but they, they had it together really well. So, and in a, in a way, because they did that, like the pop thing that they were spoon fed by the, the record company, you, they were a really good band, but you just didn't know how good they were, you know. Volvo Wagons actually had a bigger fall on at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, even though we never had the success. And, uh, it was uh, maybe I don't know because I remember us doing a gig in Aberdeen where we'd sold out and they were down the road and it was half empty, um, and that was at a time when they were they were riding quite high, you know. But Mid's years just like done amazing transformations. It's just incredible what he's done. Yeah. When went from that, then was in the punk band, was in the Rich Kids, mm-hmm. and then um, went for that. What's it? Um, um, did the Vienna stuff and and then had his own own career again and it's like unbelievable and then to do that the Christmas song all that stuff as well you know it's really unusual career he had and managed to be accepted in all these different styles usually when you go if you you were in a, a teeny band and suddenly becoming punk you're not going to get accepted in that scene but they seem to accept him you know yeah, I was and wondering what what uh, so how did it work out for you when the when the punk thing was happening? Did you did you try well, we, to participate in that at all? Yeah, we did, we did we did we did to a certain extent. We never like wore the clothes or anything like that, but we started doing stuff that was a bit more edgy. But we we dressed. That's when we started dressing up in the blazers and stuff like that. You know, almost like anti-punk in a sense, but still going along with that scene. More more like jam we're doing do you know what I mean that mm-hmm. type of look is um, that when you went from being Bilbo Baggins to Bilbo kind of uh, yeah we went to Bilbo and then we brought out She's Got Wings which was really poppy and really twee we did some really off off the wall stuff
suddenly punk came along and all of a sudden you've got people the front people screaming you've got all this stuff going and suddenly you go a gig and uh, there's the tumbleweed going through the hall you know it's like it just went from it so quickly it just the whole thing just died and it was a, it was quite a strange feeling you know when you've got like kids sleeping out like sleeping outside your house and stuff like that and they're all pesting you and phoning you and all, all that stuff and you can't walk anywhere without getting recognised and suddenly it's all gone. And while it's ongoing, you're thinking, oh, this is a pain in the ass. This is like, oh, I can't be bothered with this. And when it does go, it's like, oh, come back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, so we went in that scene. Then that, that, then that's when we got signed up to Lightning Records, funnily enough. After that, you know, it was it was strange. And that's that was uh, only a little bit of, of record sales success was then. Mm-hmm. After it, even though we did all these television shows and all the magazine stuff and all the tours, we just never never seemed to get right with the records, you know. I don't know if you know the guitarist from Bobo uh, Baggins Day. He died last year. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that, the funny thing is, we just done we just done a reunion. We done um, two reunions um, together. Three three reunions. Uh, we got back together in 2018, I think it was. And then we did two nights again in 2019. And I mean, we hadn't seen the, the guitarist for years since he left the band, really. I hadn't mm-hmm. seen him in maybe, and, and it was just like I just loved seeing him. Again. It was just like it was like we were all friends again and stuff like that. It was it was brilliant. It was um, oh, it was just 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 magical because it we, I we used to have, used to have sleepovers at his house when when we were really young and that you know. And then he got um, he got ill around about the time he got COVID, and it just didn't seem to get better. And then it ended up he had like just riddled the cancer.
I didn't ask you about your your new album that came out last year, uh, War Plus Love. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You can ask about that. Yeah. Well, I I, I did like a lot of people, but during the COVID time, I was um, I was writing the whole time. I was just it was quite a nice period for me. I didn't mind COVID that much. It didn't bring me down or anything like that. I would just go in the studio every day. I was just constantly working. I, I did something like I think I wrote. I might, I might have done as much as a hundred songs or something like that, um, and uh, I, I, I put together the um, the rockier ones for the War and Love album, and actually I did I did the the zombie. Uh, I played that one in Portugal. Uh, it's you again. What is it now? The funny thing is, uh, just yesterday, uh, I also did a lot of 70s stuff, which is like where I feel most natural at that, fun enough. And I, I, I want to bring that out next. And I've got enough, I've got more than enough albums for that, for the, more than enough songs for that compilation. So that, that, that'll be the next thing I'm bringing out. The thing is, that I just think now, just bring it out. What's the point of just lying in the studio? Like, you know, just lying there doing nothing. Uh, and uh, the some of my favourite songs are on that. That's what I want to bring out next. And I'll probably do that in the next month, I think. I'll send you a copy if you want. Sure. So um, it's an album that sounds yeah. more like sounds like the seventies. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. 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 Very, very much so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You've got that sort of feel. I'll send you a copy of that. So did you did, have you had to listen to the album that I brought out with Zombie on it? And yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I liked uh, uh, Back Up On My Feet was the one that kind of harkened back the most to Brothers, I thought.
Okay, well, thank, okay, Brian. thanks a lot, Brian. It's been great talking to you. Yeah, no problem. Okay. Right. I'll speak to you soon. Okay, bye. Bye. achieve the American dream, the big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship. The studio behind American Scandal comes a new true crime history podcast. 
I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, the Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.